to the Credit Union Overtime Podcast, produced and presented by the Credit Union Webinar Network, powered by FinEd. Today, we have client learning strategist Diana Kern with us to discuss her webinar on MasterCard debit card chargebacks. Diana Kern began her career with Shazam in 1995 and earned the accredited ACH professional designation in 1998. Her broad experience helps her comprehend a financial institution's inner workings, apply her vast knowledge of the payments industry, and train payment participants on products and services related to the card payment system, the ACH network, and EFT compliance. Diana helps clients navigate the ever-changing world of EFT services by providing a detail-oriented focus when explaining individual concepts and specifics. As a speaker, audiences welcome Diana's insights on payments trends and emerging payments. A self-described payments nerd, Diana's enthusiasm for all things payments results in high-energy presentations. And with that, Diana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, yeah, absolutely, Diana. I have a few questions for you about your webinar on MasterCard chargebacks. So my first question is, can you give us a little brief on what's included in the webinar? I know you discussed the various instances of chargebacks and how to handle them, but I also know you include some takeaways for the institutions as well. What references are included in those and what will, what will we as the audience really be walking away with? Wow, that's a big question to answer. Okay, so let me start with, at a, as a high-level overview, you know, in a 90-minute webinar, how much detail can you get into? And I think on the webinar, I talk about how many pages the the uh, chargeback guide for the MasterCard brand stuff is, hundreds and hundreds of pages. So in a webinar like this, what I try to do is outline the process as a whole. What is the chargeback cycle from stop start to finish? What are the documentation requirements, the timing requirements? Make sure that everybody is on the same page when it comes to the terminology and what rules apply, et cetera. And because this is debit cards, not credit cards, I do talk a little bit about Regulation E, although, of course, that's not the entire purpose for the content for this particular topic. So I just want financial institutions to have an introduction. You could call this maybe an intermediate level uh, as far as card payments are concerned because talking about chargebacks can be complicated and I want to try to simplify that. To address though the handouts, the takeaways that they get, you know, really it's about what to go back to your processor and investigate further, knowing more about what your transaction data is telling me and how the transaction data is used in the analysis of chargeback rights and when chargeback rights are available on transactions. And then for supplemental materials that can help people going forward when they're on their own, I have a list of websites that everybody gets as a take-home item. I have a sample type of form, which everybody has their own version of a form that they use when a cardholder comes and has a a claim that they want to make and get that information. And then there's also a quick reference that I developed several years ago, which really on one page, front and back, documents the requirements for things like liability for the cardholder or the consumer, if you're using Reg E terminology, what the provisional credit requirements say, and the reporting timelines. So there's a table that has a comparison of what the federal regulation, again, talking about debit cards, Regulation E would be the regulation that they're familiar with in a financial institution and comparing that to the MasterCard rules. So gosh, you know, in 90 minute nutshell, uh, in a nutshell of 90 minutes of a webinar, that is what we cover. Awesome. Well, thank you for that 
And now, um, now I think this came up in the webinar as well, uh, but does MasterCard have any specific provisional credit requirements that we need to be thinking about? They do not. Their rules are silent. Unlike the other global brands that I that I uh, um, work with as well as a, a client or as a financial institution that works with any processor that issues one of the global brands, but no, MasterCard does not. Awesome. Okay. And, and I know also in the webinar, you mentioned there are two kinds of chargeback cycles for MasterCard, and you gave a few examples and situations that call for both. And I know you go into great detail about this in the full webinar, and I won't ask you to do the same here, but can you give us a little overview of why these two cycles are different? Maybe an example of situations where you'd use either one? Yeah, yeah. And this is a relatively new thing in the chargeback world for MasterCard rules that, that the cycle based on the chargeback reason code, and we do get into the details in the webinar of some specific reason codes and what the conditions are, what's a valid chargeback and not. But it used to be that the chargeback cycle start to finish was essentially the same regardless of the reason code. But now that there are some chargeback reasons that are classified as, and I think in the webinar I call it more black and white, it's more straightforward because we can literally look at the authorization data. And an example of that is the EMV liability shift chargeback. So you have a counterfeit transaction that's been confirmed as fraud by your cardholder. You look and sure enough, it's a mag stripe or a fallback type of transaction. So we talk in the webinar about that being an example of where there's a very black and white answer to whether the merchant and the issuing financial institution, you know, have the EMV capabilities and using that data to determine who's liable for the chargeback in that case. So there's a slightly short, shortened chargeback cycle for that type of a black and white situation. Or if we flip the coin and we think about some of the chargebacks where there's very much more of a back and forth potential, not necessarily always happening, but more of a back and forth. For example, a chargeback that's related to the uh, product or fulfillment of goods and services, you know, whether it's the wrong product or a broken product or something, there's much more of a he said, she said, or a back and forth process to that. So there's an additional step in the chargeback cycle for that reason and others that are similar to it, where again, it's not so black and white. The answers aren't just there in the authorization data. Awesome. Okay, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, okay, and so my next question is, um, I know you got some feedback from the participants during the presentation on this one, um, but I know Shazam also has a lot of this data. So in your experience, um, do most disputes that are filed by account holders actually end up being fraud? Do they actually end up being fraud? Oh, yeah. that's that's a tough question to answer. What we track here as a processor for the clients that we process chargebacks for, because as a processor, we're a company that is a go-between. Any financial institution that uses our debit card services, or for the most part, most of them, we submit the chargeback to the global brand on behalf of our clients. So we're kind of that middleman uh, into the system. And so what we track here are the claims that are being made and uh, the chargeback, actually, the reason codes. Because there are certain reason codes in the chargeback rules for MasterCard that are classified as fraud related. I used an example of one of those just a moment ago, the EMV liability shift. Chargebacks that are submitted for uh, cardholder, not, uh, you know, no cardholder authorization is technically what it's called, where it's typically an e-commerce transaction and you have chargeback rights potentially for that card not present transaction. That's another fraud related reason that's applicable. So for those, we track 
by reason how many of them are submitted. And our percentage is somewhere around 75 to 80% of all the chargebacks we submit. Wow. But, you know, if we go back to the initial claim, that's a different story, right? That is, hey, the cardholder started off claiming it was fraud. And, and uh, you know, whether or not that turned into an actual fraud-related chargeback is not always a given. Right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that information. And uh, now, Diana, at this point, I'd like to take a moment to allow our listeners to a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so, Diana, can you tell us um, how you got into this industry and what makes you so passionate about payment systems? <laughs> can you hear it in my voice that I'm passionate about this I topic? I can. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that in the webinar, too. I'm like, I get excited talking about this stuff. And, you know, not excited in that it's all, you know, sunshine and roses, but excited in that I'm passionate about helping people better understand because I know how confusing it is. And so if we go back to the mid-90s, early 90s, even, I worked at a financial institution for about five years on the retail side. And then back in that time, any kind of a job description or any type of an open job um, position was in the newspaper, right? This was before we had all the different websites to, to try to get jobs off of or go to a company's website and submit your application electronically. So I literally saw an ad in the local newspaper in the classified ads, and I applied for it. And here I am, 26 plus years later, uh, still doing that job. It just fits. It just it just naturally is, is something that I really enjoy doing. And with all the changes, you know, I started at Shazam in August of 1995 doing training. I work with operations, financial institution staff day in, day out, sometimes in groups, many times it's one-on-one. -on -one. But what's kept it interesting for me is simply all the change in the industry, the products and services, the, the players in the industry with all the mergers, acquisitions, and consolidations. Definitely different today in 2021 than it was back in 1995. And all of that change has just kept me engaged, kept me interested. And it's, it's just a, a great topic to, to be involved in. Absolutely. Well, I certainly don't ever foresee you running out of uh, information to share with us uh, what is surrounding <laughs> this ever. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely ever changing. That's really cool. Um, okay. And so kind of last but not least here at the end, I know you already mentioned a little bit about what Shazam kind of does, but I was wondering if you could give us uh, kind of a, an overview of what y'all have to offer. Of course, I would love to. So as I said, I've worked for Shazam for a long time, and we as an organization are still fundamentally the same uh, service-driven, support-driven type of an organization that we were back in 1995 when I started. The organization itself has grown as far as our staff size and our clients and so forth, but fundamentally our philosophy is the same because we're member-owned and controlled. Shazam is an EFT network, and we're also a processor. So we have the brand. We have the Shazam branding that is used for cardholders and terminals and so forth, so people recognize how that transaction is being routed you know, as an alternative, let's say, to the MasterCard brand, which is what this webinar was about as far as chargeback rights are concerned. So Shazam as a brand and also a processor. So we have a data center and we do transaction processing. We drive terminals. We enable card authorization for debit card issuers to occur. We have lots of products and services that we offer around all those electronic payments as well as ACH transactions as a division of the company that is a payments association. So Shazam is also a NACHA member payments association. But in the debit card world, we're the process 
processor, we're the network, we're the brand, and we are member owned and controlled. So all of the decisions that are made, you know, all those big decisions that are made about the direction of the company are made by our board, which is made up of our member financial institutions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, Diana. And folks out there, you can also uh, visit the Shazam website, learn a little bit more about what they do here in our show notes. We have a link to that. And with that, Diana, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me today and to record this podcast. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. And thank you again for the opportunity. You're very welcome. <laughs> awesome. You can access and purchase Diana's webinar on MasterCard debit card chargebacks at our website using the link in our show notes. You can also visit us at cuwebtraining.com. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook on the Credit Union Webinar Network pages. I would like to thank all of our state association partners, our topic experts, and you, the listeners. Thank you for all that you do to support your members. Mm -hmm.